0: If you want to look in your Bibles at Matthew chapter two, Matthew chapter two, we're going to read beginning in verse one through verse twelve. Matthew chapter two, beginning in verse one through chapter uh, through verse twelve. Chapter two, verse one through verse twelve. Just follow along with me. What's probably very familiar, even if you're not very familiar with the Bible, you don't go to church very often, uh, you're not familiar with a lot of religious things. Because Christmas is so universal, and there's so many people that talk about Christmas, just about everybody knows about these various parts of the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born, who has been born, king of the Jews? "...for we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah." For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him. If we can stop at that moment, it sounds as if he wants to worship as do do these Kings, as do these wise men from the east. But we also know the rest of the story that uh, his intentions are nefarious. Uh, he has no respect or honor for the one who was born. He simply wants to know this information so that he can stamp out anyone who might have claim to being king because of his own jealousy, because of his own envy. Verse 9: When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own, departed for their own country another way. Let's pray together. Father, lead us now in this message. I pray that you'll give me the strength that I need to be able to deliver the word that you have for this service. But I pray, Lord, that you'll give the people who've gathered here, those that are watching us live, those that are watching on Facebook Live, Lord, that you'll give them ears to hear what you're saying. In your name I pray. Amen. Christmas is a wonderful time, isn't it? We love the Christmas season, and one of the things about the Christmas season that's so wonderful is that, especially for those that we know best and we love most, we want to purchase for them what we might think of as the perfect gift, Uh, You probably have spent some season this year, some time during the season this year, looking for that perfect gift, something that you know your spouse or your children or your grandchildren or your friends, something that you know that they really, really want with all of their hearts. And so you go out and you shop, and maybe if you don't go out and shop, you go online and you shop for that perfect gift. And it got me to thinking about some of the perfect gifts from the past, especially those perfect gifts that we think our children have to have. For instance, uh, look at this first gift and just notice, have you ever, uh, you remember those Cabbage Patch Kids? And you remember uh, all those years ago, it's been a number of years ago now, but it was the popular trend and every child had to have a Cabbage Patch Child, uh, Cabbage Patch Kid. And you know there was all that phone calling going on, you know, hey, they got two down there at that store, they're going to get three in tomorrow up there. And you had to get that perfect gift. I mean, that was what your kids wanted—was a cabbage patch kid. Now, if you don't know what a cabbage patch kid is, kid, kid is, you're just too young. You, you have no idea. Or, or think about this next one. You might have seen one of those in your past. How many of you wanted a, an Atari, or your children wanted an Atari? And, and you know, digital games have come so far since those days. I mean, that looks so antiquated. And yet that was one of the most popular gifts of the day. And everybody was looking for them and they were selling out everywhere. Nobody could find them. And they were, they were looking diligently you know, they had to, I got to find the perfect, got to find the perfect gift. Or maybe this next one is not as familiar. (laughs) That's a little like what I looked like this morning when (laughs) I got out of bed with all that pain. Uh, Furby. How many of you remember Furby. Yeah, it was one of those things that was a, a trend in the day, and the kids had to have it, and everybody had to have it, and parents were, were, were willing to go and look for it wherever they had to go and find uh, this gift, Furby. Or how about this next one, this Game Boy? And weren't we thankful when the Game Boy came out? Because then we could travel, and we could put the kids in the back seat. They didn't have to argue over you know, who's on what side of the seat, and he's touching me, she's touching me. You just put a Game Boy in their hand, and they could play. While they're traveling wherever, they're, wherever they were going. Or maybe this last one here, you remember this one? Uh, tickle me Elmo. Just sort of quiver, you know. And uh, wasn't he cute? Tickle me Elmo. How many of you got a Tickle Me Elmo? Or you bought for your children a Tickle Me Elmo? Well, I suppose that kind of uh, list could go on of, of the kind of gifts. Uh, that were popular at one time and that were the perfect gift for that day. And, And here's the amazing thing. The younger generation has no idea that there was a time when you actually had to get somewhat dressed up. You had to get in a car and you had to go out into the crowd. And you really had to, you had to you know, work through the crowd. You had to be there first in, in line at the store. You had to be waiting when the doors were open. Anymore, you just go to Amazon Prime or you go to one of the online stores and you just pick it out. And you know what? It comes right to your front door, which isn't too bad. Not too bad, except that I like to support local businesses, but it's not too bad when it shows up at your door, especially when it's one of those gifts that's very, very difficult to find. Our first... Uh, our first Christmas as a married couple, Mary and I, we'd been married five months and I wanted to get her what I thought would be the perfect gift for that year. And so I knew that one of the things Mary really liked, she liked to to dress nice. Some of the dresses that she wore, clothes that she wore, her, her mother made. Her mother was an amazing seamstress. Others were clothes that were bought at the store. And I'm thinking her mother had taught her how to sew and I'm thinking that she took home and they taught her how to sew. And so this very first Christmas, we've been married about five months, and uh, I thought, I want to do something really nice. That saved up my money. I want to do something really nice. So I, I went to a fabric store. <laughs> you know where this story's going? <laughs> I went to a fabric store, and I picked up uh, two or three different kinds of fabric. I even picked out a couple of different uh, patterns for dresses. Now imagine that, a man standing in the In a fabric store, looking through women's patterns for dresses. You know, I look back on that now and I'm thinking to myself, what was I doing? But then the really big gift wasn't the fabric or the patterns, the really big gift, I got her a sewing machine. I got her a sewing machine. Well, I'll just be honest with you, on Christmas morning when she opened it, she didn't show any surprise, she wasn't angered, she wasn't upset with me, she, didn't, she was grateful for anything she received, I'm sure. But I knew there was a problem, because as you know, days passed, it turned into weeks, it turned into months, and there were no dresses getting made, the, uh, the uh, sewing machine wasn't being brought out, and we, we ultimately gave the, the patterns and the material and the sewing machine to her mother. And her mother made the dresses, and I learned that very first Christmas. You only make that mistake one time in 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 your marriage. I learned that very first Christmas you don't give your wife anything that has a power cord attached to it. (laughs) At least not my wife. At Christmas you don't give her anything that has a power cord attached to it. Well, there's some funny stories about trying to give the perfect gift. But there were three gifts that were given to, to, to the Christ child that we could term as the perfect gifts. And I want us to think about those three gifts for a few minutes uh, today. We know about the wise men. They're also called magi. When you hear that name, wise men, magi, let's, let's be reminded that even though the song says, we three kings of Orient are, they, they weren't kings. Uh, they, they came from the east probably in the area of ancient Persia, which is today Iran. Uh, They were students of the stars. They studied the stars, sometimes like astronomy, sometimes like astrology. They were students of the stars. And and somewhere along the way, they had heard the prophecy about when the, the, the king of the Jews was born, that there would be a special star that would appear in the sky. It's an interesting little study to have if you ever want to do it as to why they would have known that. How would they have known that? There's several different theories. One of them is that that Daniel, if you remember when Daniel was taken from uh, the Promised Land into Babylon, Daniel became one of the rulers over the Magi. And there's some belief that he told them about the prophecy, about the rising star that there was coming, the Messiah, and that that star would appear. And that that got handed down generation after generation among the Magi, so that when they saw that star, they remembered what Daniel had to say about that star, because Daniel had given a prediction about the timing of the birth of the Christ child. There's another idea that maybe there was a, a remnant of of Jewish people who were living in that area, where the wise men, the Magi, were, and that they had transmitted the knowledge of. That star. But however they came to know it, they recognized that there was something different about the star and they decided to follow it. And they made this journey some eight or nine hundred miles. It would not have taken them a few days, it would have taken them months, weeks and weeks, if not months, to be able to make this journey. And so when you see in your manger scene, uh, the wise men gathered around the Christ child in the manger. That's really not an accurate depiction. They would not have gotten there until weeks, if not months after the child was born and they were already in a house and he was already weeks, if not months old when these, when these wise men, these magi finally arrived and they made that long journey. Another thing that we, we know about this is that a lot of people say there were three wise men. We really don't know how many there were. There were three gifts that were given, and they assumed from that that there must have been three magi who made the journey, but the reality is there could have been 10 or 20 or 30. There certainly would have been a large entourage that would have been traveling with these kinds of gifts. There would have been a large entourage that would have been traveling along with uh, these who had brought the gifts. And So they make this journey. They come to Jerusalem first, and they find Herod, and they ask Herod, "You know, where is the king of the Jews to be born? Herod doesn't know. Herod calls together all of the religious scholars of the day. And he asks them, and they take him, they take them to to Herod, to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And the wise men hear that, and then they're released and they go to find the Christ child in Bethlehem. They find him at a house. He's already several weeks, if not several months, old. And they come bearing these incredible gifts that can only be termed as the perfect gifts. Not only are they the perfect gifts, they are prophetic gifts. They tell you something about the one who was born there in Bethlehem. Notice again what these gifts were. They're found in verse 11 of chapter 2. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And those three gifts tell us incredible things about the one who was born in Bethlehem. If you're keeping notes, just write down the word gold and out to the side, a gift gift for a king. Gold, a gift for a king. Even to this day, gold is something that's extremely valuable. Uh, it's something that's used very rarely. It's something that's kept, and uh, you know, it's something of such value that it's kept in great safety. In this day, it was something that was used as a gift when you were giving to somebody who was a great dignitary, somebody who was of great importance, somebody who was a king. So that when you see them giving this gift of gold, you understand by seeing the gift that they are declaring that, in fact, the one who was born in Bethlehem was the king. If you back up to chapter 2, verse 1, just notice it again with me. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born, what? King of the Jews. And this very first gift they gave, this gift of gold, was a declaration that they had brought this valuable gift to one who was the king. Now here's the problem. The Jewish people weren't looking for a king quite like the way Jesus arrived. There was no fanfare about it. He wasn't born into royalty in the sense of being born in a castle or a palace somewhere. He didn't wear the robes, uh, the, the, those robes of a king when he was born. He was born to relatively poor parents in sort of a nondescript kind of a town. And for the most part, the Jewish people weren't looking for that kind of a king. They were looking instead for a political leader. They were looking for somebody who was going to come and take charge of the, of the people of Israel and lead them out from the bondage uh, of the Romans. Some of them were looking for a military leader. They were looking for somebody who was going to sweep in with great power and going to overthrow those who were their oppressors. Others of them were looking for a religious leader, somebody who would uh, come in a religious fashion and he would come and lead them in in that respect. The reality is they just simply weren't looking for the Messiah to be born in the way that Jesus was born And yet, my friends, the one who was born on this day is more than just a baby born in Bethlehem. He is God in the flesh. And he is not just king of the Jews. He is king of kings, and he is Lord of lords. And the gifts that were given on this day by these wise men, this very first gift, the gift of gold, something that was reserved and given to kings is a declaration of who the Christ is that was born on that day. I want you to think with me for a moment about Jesus, the King. You might not think of Jesus as the King. Maybe your perspective of Jesus is different than what you expected Jesus to be, but that doesn't change the fact that Jesus is still the King. Not just the King of the Jews, but the King of Kings. There's a a preacher who's pretty well known. His name is S.M. Lockridge, Dr. S.M. Lockridge. He's an African-American preacher. He pastored Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, California for 40 years, and then he retired. And then uh, he passed away, I think, uh, around the, the year 2000, about 87 years of age. He has a number of sermons that are well-known. A lot of people have heard them. He's preached them in a lot of different places. But this particular sermon I want to turn your attention to is a sermon called That's My King. It's an hour-long message, so don't be afraid. I'm not going to play the whole thing for you. But but in the message, he has a little segment that he talks about the king who was born in Bethlehem. And for the next few moments, I want you to turn your attention to the screens, and I want you to watch what S.M. Lockridge has to say about the king who was born in Bethlehem.
1: God and he guides, he heals the sick, he cleans the lepers, he forgives sinners, he discharges debtors, he delivers the captive, he defends the feeble, he blesses the young, he serves the unfortunate, he regards the age, he rewards the diligent, and he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him, he's a key to knowledge, he's a well and a yoke is easy, and his burns is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You see, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees. They couldn't stop him. Silence couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the brave couldn't hold him. Hey! That's my key.
0: That's my key. I wish I could preach like that. But isn't that an incredible? Understanding of the person who was born that day in Bethlehem. These wise men, these magi, came bringing the gold, and that gold was a declaration of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was a king. Their gift was worthy of a king. The second gift that it says they brought was the gift of frankincense. If you're making notes, you want to write the word frankincense, it's a gift for a high priest a gift for a high priest. A high priest would use frankincense when he would go in to, uh, to the holy place of, of the Almighty God. Let me just give you a little bit of background in case there's some of you that don't know. God used to meet with his people Israel in a portable tabernacle. You could fold it up, you could collapse it, you could carry it with you, and then they would set it up wherever they would move, put it at the center of their encampment. Uh, later on, it would become a permanent temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That temple is not there, but if you go there today, you can see some of the foundation stones of where that temple has been. Inside of that broader uh, tabernacle, or that broader temple, there was an inner building. In that first part of that inner building was the holy place. And then there was this large curtain that hung that kept you from seeing what was in that back section Back there where the Ark of the Covenant was. You know what Indiana Jones was looking for? Back there in, behind that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. That was called the Holy of Holies. And that's the place where God would descend with his presence and he would meet with his people. And the high priest, using incense, would enter into that holy place and enter into that Holy of Holies once a year. He'd have to go through certain ceremonies and certain rituals to be cleansed for himself before he would enter in there. But then he would go in with the sacrifice for all of the people. And he would go behind that curtain and he would meet with God. And they, they would, he would give that sacrifice to God that showed the forgiveness of his own people's sins. And he would go back there with frankincense. This gift is the gift of a high priest. This is a gift that was a reminder that it is Jesus who went in for us. It is Jesus who opens the way for us. Stop and think about it for a moment. For centuries that curtain hung there. They would add one curtain on top of another, on top of another, until it was wasn't just a few inches thick. It, it could be as much as a foot or more thick. But do you know what happened when Jesus came? When Jesus came in Bethlehem, Jesus lived in absolute obedience to the law of God, so that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he wasn't dying for his sins, he was dying for ours. And I take you now to the other end of Jesus' life. From his birth, I take you to the time of his death. And listen to what it says about that, about that curtain. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened. Now listen, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Wow. Do you know that, that, what that means? That means that Jesus made it possible for us to come to God. Jesus made it possible for us to come into the very presence of the Almighty God. That's that's an important truth, especially at this moment. Many of you are going through a Christmas season that's different than the Christmas seasons before. But I remind you of what the writer of Hebrews says. We have not a God, who have not a, a Savior, a high priest, who is not touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was tempted in, in all the ways that we're tempted, yet without sin. He says, therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Do you know why we can go boldly into the very presence of the Almighty God? It's because Jesus, the high priest, symbolized by the frankincense, when he died on the cross, caused that curtain to be torn in two. And that's what a high priest did. A high priest was a mediator between God and man. All of the high priests that had gone before Jesus were imperfect high priests. Uh, They could not take away the sins of mankind. They had to offer sacrifices over and over and over. But listen to what it says here Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, excuse me who does not need daily, that is Jesus, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Once for all. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. Isn't that incredible? He opened the way for us to come directly into the very presence of the Almighty God And all of that is because he was and is our high priest. The gold was a gift for a king. The frankincense was a gift for a high priest. The gold reminds us who he is. The frankincense reminds us what he did. But there's a third gift that's given here. At the end of verse 11, it says, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh. Write down the word myrrh and out to the side. It's a gift for a burial. It's a gift for a burial. I want you to understand this Christmas season that the birth of Christ makes no sense apart from the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. It makes no sense. Uh, The gift of Jesus is a two-part gift. Let me help you understand what I mean. It's a two-part gift. If you were to give an electric guitar to somebody who didn't have one, you wouldn't want to just give the electric guitar. You'd have to give something else as well, wouldn't you? You'd have to give an amp. It's a, it's a two-part gift. Uh, if you were to give a Keurig, a uh, coffee maker, you wouldn't just give the Keurig, you'd have to also give the pods that go with the Keurig. Why? It's a two-part gift. I mean, what good is the Keurig without the pods? What good are the pods without the Keurig? Or, or think of it this way. I don't know how many times on Christmas we opened, had our kids to open up their gifts and we thinking there were going to be batteries in those gifts No, they don't supply the batteries. And you'd open up the gifts, and then you'd have to scurry around and try to find batteries. Why? It's a two-part gift. And that second part brought to life those gifts that we gave to them. The birth of Christ is a two-part gift. The first part is his birth in Bethlehem. But the second part is what he does at Calvary in paying the penalty for mankind's sin. It's a two-part gift. You understand that this second part of the gift is what energizes and what gives power to the first part of the gift. If Jesus only came and there is no Calvary and there is no resurrection, if Jesus only came as a special individual whose birthday we celebrate, what's the big deal? We celebrate a lot of people's birthdays. We celebrate the president's birthdays on president's day. We celebrate Independence Day. We celebrate a lot of special days. What makes this day stand out to all of the other days? It is. It's a two-part gift. Because the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ would end up at Calvary where he would be crucified and he would pay the penalty of all of mankind's sin. He would make it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins and to be given a right standing with God matter of fact, if you're writing down notes, you want to write it down. The death of Christ is the reason that gives power and meaning to the season. The death of Christ is the reason that gives power and meaning to the season. I saw this in a a graphic, and I wish I had grabbed it and brought it with me. It's a, a circle, and one half of the circle is a Christmas wreath, and the other half is the crown of thorns. And it says, this is the reason for the season. And it reminds you that these two go together. The birth of Christ goes together with the death of Christ because Jesus didn't come just to create a holiday. Jesus came to give his life as a sacrifice for all mankind. You know, centuries back, even famous artists recognized this. I have a picture for you from Rembrandt. It goes back all of these years to... Uh, something that he had painted, and we've put the original on the left-hand side, and we've emphasized something on the right-hand side. Uh, there you see the nativity scene, and you see the Christ child, and you see Mary and Joseph, and maybe some of the, the shepherds who would come uh, to, to see the Christ child. You, you maybe see a few of the animals that are around in the back. We're not told that there were animals, but p- possibly animals. If you look carefully in the picture, you can see there's a rooster there. But where the ladder is laid, it intersects with the beam. And Rembrandt wanted you to see that hovering over the birth of the Christ was the reality of the crucifixion. That you couldn't have one without the other. It was the second that brought meaning and purpose to the first. And without the first, there could have never been the second. But it was the second that brought meaning and purpose to the first. Do you see it? Do you see it? Every time we come to the Christmas story, we're reminded not just that he is the king and the king of kings, and we're reminded that he is the high priest who has torn that, that, that uh, veil so that we could go directly into the presence of God, but we are reminded that Jesus has given his life for us. Myrrh. Think about it. Myrrh for a moment. Back here in John chapter 19, when Jesus has been crucified and now he's given up his life Listen to what it says. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing, listen, a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds, Myrrh and aloes. Myrrh was a part of burial. It was used to perfume the body. They didn't have the embalming or they had it, but they didn't use the embalming process. They used it for the perfuming of the body. Can you imagine? Can you imagine as they wrap the body of Jesus and they insert this myrrh little by little as they wrap that body? And It's a reminder that this gift was a gift for a burial. Now, I know what you're thinking in your mind. Is it possible that Mary and Joseph could have ever understood what these gifts literally meant at that particular moment in time? And, And I would say to you that possibly they didn't. I don't know for certain. Possibly they didn't. But I want you to turn your attention away from just Joseph and Mary. And I want you to stop and I want you to think about all of the heavenly hosts that are watching on as all of this is unfolding before them. And that heavenly host is looking and they know what the gold is and they know what the frankincense is and they know what the myrrh is and we who look back on that scene understand the significance of the gifts that were being given on that day. You should understand that Christmas always points to the cross. Christmas always points to the cross and without the cross... The second part of that two-part gift, the first part has very little meaning. It has very little meaning. So when you look at these gifts that were given to Jesus, Jesus received this gold, a gift for a king. He received this frankincense, a gift for a high priest. He received this myrrh, a gift for a burial. He was the king of kings. He is the king of kings. He opened the way for us to be able to come to God. And he paid the penalty of mankind's sin so that man could be forgiven of his or her sins. I want you to turn one more place with me, if you will. And that's to the gospel of John chapter 1. Because I want to bring this three-part series about Christmas to a close by just reminding you of the significance of what Jesus has done for us. John chapter 1. And think about what it says here in verse number 12. And think about the birth of Jesus. Wouldn't it be a shame for you to go through the Christmas season with all the wrappings and all the light and all the tinsel and all the celebrations and all the food and all the gatherings, but you didn't really know personally the Christ of Christmas? You see, every person has to come to a place in his or her life where they personally and individually put his or her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in verse 12, but as many as received him, that's Jesus, but as many as received him to them, the ones who receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that great news? You can become a child of God today. You can become forgiven of your sins. You can be given the gift of eternal life. And it's all by receiving Jesus. And what does it mean to receive Jesus? The last phrase of verse 12, to those who believe in his name. What does it mean to receive Jesus? It means to believe in his name. What does it mean to believe in his name? It means to receive Jesus. And you can go through this Christmas season celebrating the birth of the Christ child by simply opening your heart and saying, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. You see, everybody's in need of it. There's nobody excluded from it. Everybody needs a Savior. And the one who was born in Bethlehem on that day was born to be your Savior. I was saved on December the 26th, 1972, the day after Christmas. And I'll never forget the first thought that crossed my mind. I was 16. First thought that crossed my mind is, next Christmas I'll get to celebrate a real Christmas because I know the one personally, individually who came in Bethlehem and who went to the cross for me. Do you know Christ? Did you hear S.M. Lockridge again and again? That's my king. Do you know him? That's my king. Do you know him? That's my king. Do you know him? If you don't know him, You can come to him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can become a child of the living God today.